Welcome to the podcast edition of Musicians of the Midnight Sun. I'm your host, Pat Braden, broadcasting to you over the virtual airwaves from the Love Shack studio here in the heart of Old Town Yellowknife Northwest Territories. Now, I'm a bass player, Chapman stick player, singer-songwriter, and I've been playing music throughout the North since about 1977. As a young musician, I was caught up in the explosion of popular music in the world through the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. As I got older, I thought there must have been the same thing happening up here, just in a different place and on a different scale. So in 2003, I started to interview the older players who taught me most of what I know today, and many more musicians that I'd only ever heard of. My intention was to have an accessible and free place where anyone could go to learn about these players and the musical times and the lives that they lived. Over the years, I've collected 30-plus interviews and created an archival website at www.musiciansofthemidnightsun.com. Some of these interviews are quite long, so I wanted to bring the core of their stories to a more accessible format. So I created this series of podcasts to continue the celebration of the musical lives of these northern musicians who performed in northern Canada from the 1950s through to the mid-1970s. Thanks for tuning in. Please send any questions and comments to me through this website. I hope you enjoy this podcast episode of Musicians of the Midnight Sun. I'm sure I would have seen and heard Wayne Bertrand playing guitar with a few bands before I ever picked up the bass guitar. He would have been playing the teen dances upstairs in the Legion with Stained Glass Illusion or at the teen hangout youth center in the basement of the United Church just down the street from my house in the early mid-1970s or at one of the outdoor shows where local and out-of-town bands would play sets on a flat deck on a Sunday afternoon. Wayne played a lot of music in town back then. I would have met Wayne when I was playing in the bars between 1978 and 81. I knew who he was, he knew who I was, but our musical paths never seemed to intersect. Later, while I was at music college in Edmonton, I would come back to Yellowknife in the spring and within a day have a straight job and a steady gig for the summer. In the spring of 1982, I believe, I returned to town and was invited to play with a band called Shadowfax at a local bar called The Gallery. The bass player had recently left the band and took his PA system with him. So I joined in with Lawrence Carr, the late Murray Grabke, Peter Robinson, and Wayne. We convinced Sam Yerku, the bar owner who had hired us for the summer, to front us the money to buy a PA system big and loud enough to handle the high-energy music we were playing. Amazingly, he did just that, and we played the summer through paying off this PA system. Some very wild gigs with that band and these were my first with Wayne. The bands come and the bands go. A few more years passed, and in late 1986 or early 1987, I joined another group that included Wayne, along with James Milligan, Tom Hudson, and Norman Glowich. The band focused on a collective songwriting concept, and along with guitar player the late Paul Tanner and keyboardist Sue Leon, we became the Chromatics. We went on to play many, many shows in Yellowknife, between 1987 and 1989, and recorded a CBC Northern Service album called Spirit of the Wind. 
It was so good to hear Wayne's stories of growing up and playing music in Yellowknife in the 1960s. A passionate musician, Wayne paid attention to the comings and goings of local and touring musicians and bands, and encouraged a lot of interaction by opening his home as a jam space. As a working musician, he was making enough coin to be able to support himself, afford good gear, nice clothes, and a fine record collection. Wayne's insights and recollections from the 1960s and 70s have been invaluable in documenting the Yellowknife music scene for the musicians of the Midnight Sun Project. Wayne starts his interview by paying homage to his first teacher, the late Wolf Shidlowski, for nurturing his passion to play the guitar. Well, my first want or love of music, I guess I was around 10, but it never really started until... Uh, halfway through grade seven when I found out that Wilf Shilowski, the grade nine teacher at St. Pat's, I was going to St. Pat's then, was a guitar player and that's what I wanted to do was be a guitar player. So I had asked him when we got into, when I got into grade eight, if he would teach me how to play guitar. And he said, only if you get at least 10 other people to join with you and then I'll teach you guys how to play. And at that time I just, you know, do I know 10 people that want to play <laughs> guitar? Hmm. So I thought, okay, who am I going to get? So I contacted Larry Glowich, Bob Arlent, John Tease, Gary Tease, uh, Carol LaChance, Francesca, I can't remember her last name, and a couple other people that I don't even remember now, that was such a long time ago, to come to the classes so Wilf would start teaching us how to play guitar. So we got into playing in that, and he's teaching and practice our asses off right through all kinds of nights and that. Then when it got to Your Cheating Heart, the country and western, it was like, okay, boys, we want to do this rock and roll Beatles and Rolling Stones stuff, right? So we ended up uh, leaving, and then, okay, well, we need a drummer. And Larry goes, well, I'm having a hard time on guitar, so I'll get on to the drums. John was teaching himself bass, so he taught his brother Gary how to play bass, and we started the band. We went through a few names, but I think the last one, the name was The Vibrations, and played at the high school dances. That happened for about a year or so, a couple years, actually, I guess. What years would those have been then? Yeah, it would have been, started learning in, in September of 64, and then after that, when we got into playing in, in the band or putting a band together, that would have been in 65, got the band together to get enough of a good four sets type of thing. So that would have been later on. And we played for a while until then, for some reason, I don't remember why, then Bob and Larry left in 67. When the Cedar government came to Yellowknife, we ended up uh, meeting uh, Tony Gilchrist. He said he knew how to play drums. So, okay. Let's go. In the meantime, John, Gary, and I, we were still practicing down in his mom and dad's basement. So we were practicing on that. Hold you there. Can I ask you to go back to the mid-60s when you're playing and you're playing dances? So you're just playing schools at that point in time? Yes. We were Uh, just playing the school, the high schools, and at that time, well, we weren't that old and at that time, right? So we were, you know, like, what are we, 15? If that. If that. Um, the Hall was sort of happening around that time, too. There were different groups going there. So you were going to St. Pat's, and then there was Sir John. Any interaction at all between you guys, or did you just know of each other, and that was it? 
We just knew each other. At the time when there was uh, John, Gary, Bob, Larry and that, I think the only band from Akecha Hall that I recall was the Arctic Ramblers, I believe. And that was before UM Squared. So that was the Akecha Hall band. We knew the guys. They knew who we were, being in Yellowknife, right? You know, you cross the street and you, you know everybody. So... We just started doing just the, uh, the school dances and that. Usually St. Pat's, Acacia Hall was doing Sir John type of thing, and we were doing the St. Pat's. Do you remember the songs that you guys were playing? Boy, anything that came off the radio, we were doing some uh, Beatles, Rolling Stones, Dave Clark Five whoever else was in that era there. I can't remember them all now. But uh, Guitar instrumentals and stuff? Uh, no, we did everything was with vocals. We all did vocals at the time. In the mid-60s, John was basically the lead singer. And Gary and myself would do some singing, but John was a better singer than, than we were. He had a better memory, maybe that's what it was. <laughs> he remembered all the lyrics. <laughs> And then Tony came on the scene. Where did Tony come from? Uh, when the seat of government moved over, his dad was assistant commissioner. They were uh, moved from Ottawa and came to Yellowknife. That's how we ran into Tony. He was going to Sir John. And uh, I can't remember how exactly we met, but at that time, again, Yellowknife being small. And in the music, there wasn't that many of us that were playing music. So more than likely what happened is Tony probably heard us play or heard of us or something and we got together. And at the time we were looking for a drummer, he could sing as well. And he said, well, basically I'm a guitar player, but I can drum too. So that was a good deal. He bought a set of drums and I bought his guitar. <laughs> and played that. And that's when we got into more of the... Uh, Obscure music, I guess, you know, then we were doing Jimi Hendrix and uh, more of the really heavy rock and roll uh, that we were doing. So we would learn those songs and uh, something different than what the UM Squared, because UM Squared started by that time. And then that's when we became Stained Glass Illusions, when uh, Tony had joined us. That's another story, Stained Glass Illusion. How did the name come apart? We were practicing in John and Gary's living room at their mom and dad's house. Phone rings. John answers the phone. And I can't remember if it's who. But for some reason, I keep thinking it was Sam Yuriku that called. He needed a band that night. It was a Saturday afternoon. We, were, we had, I think, 20 songs. So John's, well, we only have so many songs. I don't care. I need a band. The band didn't show up. I need somebody to play. What, what are you guys called? And John's standing in the kitchen, his mom and dad, and she had a stained glass uh, trinket in the windows, and it's rotating, he's looking at it, and he goes, stained glass illusions. Bam, we had her name. <laughs> Eventually, illusions kind of dropped off, and we were just called stained glass, and we were called other names too, I'm sure. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. It's interesting to hear how, how, the, how the music changed, I mean, even between 64 and 67, which is like, okay, it's three years, it's not a long time, but uh, again, going back to that time, it, it was a long time because the music was changing so fast um, yeah, in, in, as far as popular music goes, and uh, 
that you guys had your finger on the pulse and, and uh, you know, picking up uh, those songs either from, were you picking them up from radio or from records? At that time, there was a little bit on the radios, not that much in Yellowknife and I, but we were buying records. YK Radio, good old YK Radio. Good place to buy equipment too, on credit. He helped us out a lot. Mr. Glick helped us a lot. So we would buy records. Some of it we heard on the radio or on a little bit of TV that we had on Saturday afternoons or whatever. A lot of times we buy records not because we knew who the band was. You pick up the record jacket and go, that's cool. I wonder what this sounds like. <laughs> so you take it home, you put it on the player and play it. Oh, yeah, that's what we want to do. <laughs> yeah, and so that's it. Well, another band was the, the Who. We were playing at uh, St. Pat's at a high school band. I think it was even the grad dance we were playing. And one of the pictures you'll see had my little amp and an older guitar, and I thought, at the end of the night, and we had discussed this a little bit beforehand, I said, at the end of the night, you know what? I'm going to smash that amp and that guitar. And the rest of the guys are going, yeah, right, whatever. So we were playing this last song. I can't remember what the name of the song was. They were playing away, and I took off the guitar I was using, and I grabbed this other guitar, and I turned around, and I smashed the amp to pieces. The guitar, everything stopped. And then, next thing you know, they'd, uh, I think this was still with Larry in there, and Larry put his foot through his tom-tom. <laughs> and I forget what John did, but anyway, the whole crowd, the dance hall, did, everybody stopped. <clears throat> the teachers thought we were all insane. I'm sure that they thought we were smoking marijuana in the whole nine yards. And uh, they all crowded around the stage, and they were all mouths hanging open like, these guys are nuts. <laughs> But, amazing enough, you'd see people afterwards picking up pieces off the stage or whatever flew on the floor. And I, Yeah, we were the who that night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we wanted to be different, you know, to play the different music, not what everybody else was playing at the time. We wanted to be on the outside, I guess the black sheep of the music, so to speak. So a lot of people considered us the first rock and roll band in Yellowknife. And then UM Square came into the picture, and then there was sort of like the rivalry between the two, uh, the bands, and that naturally it would be, because we were the only ones really playing that, you know, the pop music, if you like. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that was a lot of fun, and we would always, you know, joke around with each other type of thing, and that, yeah. You guys are playing tonight? Yeah, well, we're going yeah, to show you up tonight. We're playing too over there. <laughs> We'll see who draws the biggest crowd. <laughs> healthy, healthy yeah. rivalry, though. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and they all got along. I mean, it's you know, it's all that's what it is. You know, the musicians are a big family, right? No matter what. I, I I don't know. I remember going to the Capitol Theater and going and seeing the Last Waltz, but and, and, and talking with uh, with different people from before and from the time that you're talking about. They talk about how um, the record companies sort of teamed up with the movie. Companies and they put out these, um, what would you call them, compilations of right. different concerts and stuff like that. And they would bring those, and so there'd be like whatever two hours of six different bands, you know, whoever they were pushing or promoting at that time. Mm -hmm. Did you ever get to see any of those at the Capitol Theater? Uh, yeah, we uh, went in and we seen Help from the Beatles. Uh, we seen The Who. Who else did we see? Tommy James and the Shondells. 
the Everly Brothers, you know, all those people at the time of the 60s and that. Yeah, there was sometimes shows of just the one band, and like you say, sometimes there was skits of all uh, these other bands playing the Rolling Stones and that. So we did go in and get to see that, and that was that was a big outing for us, you know, like get to see the actual... Because as you know, in Yellowknife, uh, you didn't have people coming in to play up at the end of the road. It just didn't really happen. So you'd, everything that you've seen was at... Capitol Theatre or on the little bit of TV that we got. Being able to see them and stuff like that, were you following the fashion of the day as it changed as well? Oh yes. I was a great instigator for that. Back when we were going to be opening, so I'm trying to think, yeah, I guess it was in when Tony was with us, I believe. Uh, we were going to be opening for Bobby Cortola in Yellowknife. And I thought, well, we got to have something different. You couldn't buy that stuff in Yellowknife, right? So then I'm trying to figure out who I can get to create these clothes that I have in my head. I was going to school with George Erasmus, Roy Erasmus. So I was discussing with them one day, and George goes, well, my mom sews. Oh, great. So he says, what do you want? And I said, can I talk to your mom, see if she would be interested? Went and talked to Mrs. Erasmus, nice lady. The whole family, nice sit at the kitchen on the kitchen table and she goes so George tells me you want to have sold some clothes for the band and I said yes she goes what do you have in mind and I said well I want bell bottoms and she goes okay what kind of bell bottoms I want corduroy and they have to be orange really okay <laughs> fine so I described what I wanted and then she goes what about a shirt and I said I want a flowered shirt so that the cuff had probably at least six buttons with big billowing sleeves and long collars, high, long, and the pointed collars, you know, and, they, and it's got to be really hippie type, right? Lo and behold, she took my vision, she made them, and we wore them on stage. We opened up for Barbara Cortola wearing these clothes. Yeah, good on her, you know. It was, oh, it was just like, wow, you know, that she actually came up and did it for us, you know. And got it, too. <laughs> yeah, got it, yeah, exactly. Got the vision big time. And sure, naturally, people are, you know, that didn't happen in Yellowknife neither, right? So when Stained Glass is on stage, you know, and then, yeah, there's Stained Glass. And then eventually, instead of Stained Glass Illusions, we were starting to call Strange Grass or Strange Illusions or whatever. <laughs> because we were doing all this stuff that was totally different. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, that was cool when it opened up for Bobby and uh, having these clothes made, and that, that was cool. Where did that happen? And that was at um, the public school on Main Street. Uh, what was the name of that school now? Willie McDonald. Willie McDonald, yes, in the gym, gymnasium there. Yeah, it's a big gym, that one. Yeah. Did you ever get to play in the Capitol Theater? Because I've heard different musicians talk about playing in the Capitol Theater doing concerts there. No, we never did get to play in there, no. Because from there after that, uh, like I said, well, like even in Stained Glass, we played it downstairs in the Legion. Wilf Shilowski got us to play down there. Being young as we were, you know, no matter what the temperature was out, plus 40 or minus 40, as soon as you finish your set, outside, freezing the butts off. Until finally Wilf would say, you know, to the manager, he said, this is crazy, you know, we're sending the young guys out there, 
you know, they're sweating on stage and we send them out and they're freezing to death and, you know. So finally they set up a table for us in the corner. You don't move from here, you know. We'll bring you water and pop, but that's it. And then from there you go right back on the stage. Yay! So that was cool. Yeah, yeah. Wilf was, yeah, amazing guy. You know, taught us how to play and then supported us through our career at that time, you know, pushing in that. And again, the musical family, right? He's a musician and all the guys, too, that he played with, you know, were all, hey, guys, you know, right on. Usually at the end of the night, you know, they would come over and we'd all jam or they would go, you know, hey, show me some of that rockabilly stuff there. <laughs> By that time, they had a few too many, more than likely, you know, like so. But it was oh, fun and we had grand time. That was our jamming with those the old fellas and that you know they wanted to learn what we were doing we kind of knew what they were doing you know country and western you know it was pretty easy to play at the time but this was something that they never played but they were interested in learning how to play it and you know like the riffs and the the timing and all of that but they had fun you know we all had a lot of good laughs and yeah it was it was good times yeah miss those times they were open to that, I guess, and, and uh, like you say, just sort of that camaraderie that sort of happens amongst musicians, whatever the age or whatever. I'm, I think we, we can all go and hear a young band and kind of go, wow, those guys are awesome, and get really excited by it and, yeah. and uh, get tuned on to it because we were there, you know, and know what that feels like. And, and uh, um, for them, too, it was probably the same thing. Yeah. Like even myself today, too. Like, I'm well, they're going to help the young guys. If they want help, I will help them. The first thing I say is, I'll teach you. No problem with that, as long as you practice. If you don't practice, then we're wasting our time. Yours and mine, we're wasting it. And that's what it was like with the old fellas, too. You know, they were willing to teach you as long as you were willing to practice to learn how to do it. Yeah. And, and you, know, you talk about Wilf and you talk about Harold and, and they're, they're both players going back um, and luckily at that time those guys were there and they either gave you guitar lessons or they fronted you PA systems or gear or whatever yeah. at the store and stuff like that but they must have got a, a kick out of just seeing you guys run with it, you know, and and they could see what was going on. I mean, they're working their jobs and doing their thing and stuff. But yeah. holy smokes, listen to that guy now. That kid three years ago or two years ago put a guitar in his hand, and, and here he is now. And it's like, wow, that's something else, you know. Yeah. So they must have got really jazzed by by just uh, seeing seeing you guys develop and grow right before their eyes, like literally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm sure it must have been. You know, they never came out and said that kind of thing in that way. Uh, but you could see that they were proud of what we did. You know, and like I said with, you know, with Harold, like there's a lot of times when you're, you know, 14, 15, 16, you don't have money to buy something. You know, the money we're making is playing high school gigs. And then eventually, we, like I say, we got into the Legion and made some money there. Um, so it was amazing that Harold would go, I, I like that amp, you know, or whatever. And they go, okay, we'll open up a credit account. You pay me on a weekly basis. You come in and you give me X amount of money and to pay the amp. He said, I'm not going to let you take it right away in some cases, depending on the price of the amp. 
And uh, so I would say, fine. Usually when we got to over the halfway mark, then we could take it to use it. Because now we were committed and he seen we were committed. You know, he took a chance. And then after that, sure enough, you know, but because he took a chance on us, and well, for me, especially, I'm talking about, you know, what he did for me, he felt safe enough for me to take the app because he knew I was going to pay him at the end. And I appreciated it, and I was going to pay him at the end. Yeah, you worked hard to do it. Yeah, and plus he worked hard or for his business, and he believed in me mm-hmm. enough to give me, you know, a 15-year-old, 16-year-old kid credit. That doesn't happen today. <laughs> you know, to set somebody up in what they want and love to do, I, I got no words except thank you very much. And then talking about Wilf, I mean, I remember him lending me his his red guitar. I was, think it was a Hagstrom, had a leather on the body of the guitar. Beautiful guitar, lightweight, and it sounded great. And he lent it to me a few times, but it was his guitar. So again, amazing enough that he would let me borrow it to do a gig or whatever, as long as I kept care of it and brought it back afterwards, which I always did. There never seemed to be a shortage of gear or instruments in, in Yellowknife. There was, you know, other people buying and selling or trading or swapping or whatever, bartering. And then if it's like if you wanted something really specific, then you went to Harold's and you ordered it and it yeah. would come up where you'd make a trip down south. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. There was lots of instruments. Yeah, in the late 60s and 70s and that, it was basically through Harold that I was doing. Unless, like you say, that there was a musician that was selling something, you know, then bought from them if it was something of interest and that. But yeah, YK Radio, yeah, Harold was the place to be. And most of the time, he had something there of interest because that's where I got the ball when I got my Fender Twin from him. And uh, then naturally, whatever... I don't, just the amps. I don't think I ever. I never got a guitar from Harold. Just after that, it was picks and straps and strings, and other than that, that was about it. Yeah. So to pay for the guitars and the sticks and the strings and all the rest of that stuff, were you working jobs and stuff like that? What kind of jobs were you? Doing? Nope. All through the band. Yeah. Wow. Playing uh, in high school dances and like I said, they would let us play in the, the Legion. We did street dances. We would close off the street between Yellowknife Inn and the Rexall Drug there, It'd be just before the post office where the back alley is. We'd put a high boy there and run extension cords to everywhere <laughs> to get power. And we would do these street dances in the, in the summertime and get paid for that. And So that's how I paid for everything was just doing that. I didn't have a job. I had a job a little bit for a while with working with Town of Yellowknife at the time for about a month. They were taking out the wooden sidewalks and putting in cement sidewalks until I ended up with a bad blister on my right hand and um, was getting blood poisoning. And that was the end of my working career. And after that, I just played. I was making more money than my mother and father. Well, my dad, because mom wasn't working at the time. We used to get baby bonuses, right? And I think at that time it was like 7 or $10, depending on your age. And she, every end of the month, she would try to give me the 7 bucks and that. I would take the 7 bucks, put my hand in my pocket, and come out, and I would 
count out a hundred, two hundred dollars and give her money. And she goes, no, that's your money. And I, mom, I'm making enough money. I bought my own clothes. I bought my own gear and uh, gave my parents money because I was making tax-free money. Being a young kid living at home, why not? So I helped my parents put food on the table and I did my own thing. That's Music. That's amazing. Yeah. So you must have been playing like every 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 weekend. That's just playing weekends. Yep. Just playing weekends. Friday and Saturday if we could do both nights. Sometimes we just did either a Friday or Saturday night. But we played every chance we got at no matter who would have us. Yeah. And so that would be the school dances, like you say, and the Legion, the Elks. Was the Elks bringing music in? Like in the, I guess in those early years. Uh, when you started to play out of the schools and in the, in the town. In the town, they, it was rare that we played at the Elks, mostly the Legion. And like I say, then afterwards, that was the one time. I'm pretty sure it was Sam. It must have been the Gold Range, I think, at the time. The Elks, I'm trying to remember if we did anything at the Elks at all. I wonder why the Elks sort of, like you say, they were more of a club kind of a scenario as opposed to the Legion, but you would think that the Legion being a Legion, and especially back in those days for veterans and all the rest of that stuff, would be even more closed door than the Elks that way. Good old Mr. Wilf Shilowski. Oh, okay. He's the one that got us into... The, the Legion. Because we got in there, eventually I think UM Squared actually got in there too, and I think it's all because of Wilf. You know, and people respected Wilf, he was a teacher, right, and he's a, you know, pillar of the community and that whatever, and he is a musician, and he played in the, Elk, in the Legion all the time with his band, and so, yeah, the, you know, it, it was the... The old crew, pulling yeah. strings for the, for the young ones. Though. For the young ones, yeah. So and that's why we got into the Legion rather than the Elks. Yeah. yeah, okay. How much would they be paying you for a night? Let's see now, what was I making? We were making between two and three hundred dollars, which was good money back then, you know, because uh, a buck could take you a long ways back then. And yeah, we were getting paid good. You know, we made good money. So the lineup is still yourself, uh, John and Gary Tees, and Tony Gilchrist. Yeah. For, for that. For that band. So that ran from, you say, around 67? It's 67 to, to... I'm trying to think. I think I left the band in sometime in 70. And then uh, Tony, he was heading to Nelson to go to university. But John, Gary, and Tony kept doing stuff afterwards, and I went and played with, you know, different uh, bands and that, or tried to play with younger bands, up-and-coming new musicians. And then finally I ran into Brian Kleem. He was just kind of learning how to play guitar. We just eventually evolved into playing a duet. First of all, it started out with just him on guitar. Eventually we thought we um, needed more. We wanted to do more. We wanted to be a band and that. We were actually walking down on a Sunday afternoon down the back alley. And uh, anyway, we're walking down the back alley and we hear music coming out of one of the houses. 
So, whoa, okay, well, we're stopping here to find out what's going on here. And it sounded really good. So we went in and we we're trying to we'd knock on the front door, no answer. So we walk around the back and the back door was open. And there was a few guys standing in the kitchen and that. So we said, hey, you know, like we heard music and that. Oh, go on in. You know, we're musicians. We're just curious, you know, and, hey, come in. So we go in and in the living room, there's uh, Terry Mercer on piano. John, JT, uh, Telgen on drums. So I think Alex Skakem was there visiting, playing guitar. And there was, I can't remember who on bass, I just don't recall. So they were jamming, we were listening to that, and then they took a break. They went all to the kitchen, had their beers or whatever, so we said, hey, do you mind if we grab some guitars and fool around? No, go ahead. So we started, Brian and I, just fooling around, trying the instruments, because some of the instruments we hadn't seen, guitars or amps, we wanted to hear how they sounded like and that. So we started jamming and that, and at that time we were doing a lot of the uh, the Bob Dylans and the um, bluesy kind of stuff, you know, more rockabilly blues or whatever. So we started playing a blues tune, I can't remember which one it was now, and then JT comes from the kitchen, sits down behind the drums and starts drumming like okay and then a few minutes later Terry Mercer comes and sits down on the piano and starts honking away on his blues 12 bar blues and I again I can't remember who the darn bass player was anyway he came in and grabbed the bass a few minutes after that so now here we're jamming with these musicians just out of the blue right so we played a few songs for a good hour or so and then it was time for us to leave us getting on so as we were leaving we said to JT hey love what you do on the drums would you like to get a band together we're you know looking for a drummer and we know a bass player you know that we can probably get together and he went sure i'm not doing nothing sure let's do it and gary tease naturally bass player and he wasn't doing anything right and i knew gary and uh, so called up gary hey would you like to join us in a band you know and he didn't know jt because we just met him too right so we said, well, we have a drummer, and there's Brian and I, and he just kind of knew Brian a bit. Sure. Uh, so JT and Brian and Gary Tease and myself, we formed Millstone, and we played uh, in the bars and uh, trap line, I guess it was called, in Yellowknife Inn on stage there. And uh, every once in a while, if there was a keyboard there, Terry Mercer would come and join us, you know, honk around for a couple of tunes. and flute players, whoever musicians was out there, usually Saturday afternoon jams, right? But we did play their gigs like for the weekends and played for Sir John Franklin's high school grad dance one year. Uh, yeah, played the different bars and that, but that was Millstone, yeah. Were you dipping into the repertoire that you had from earlier years or was there a sort of a shift in the change of music? Shift of change, yeah. More of the bluesy side of things now. And so we were into that vein, a little bit of Jethro Thal, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Who else were we doing? Uh, that group of musicians from those type of years, those are the ones that pop off the top of my head right now. And naturally there was Dylan and Donovan and that as well, you know, and we did some of those tunes and that. So it was a mixture of blues, a little bit of the rock and roll bluesy tunes like you know with Jethro Thull and that type of thing and and then we had the uh, easy listening with Crosby Stills Nash and Young so we were doing those type of songs at that time fair to say it was a little bit more acoustic 
guitar based. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Brian was on guitar and harp, and then he eventually got onto pedal steel, and I was on guitar, and uh, well, JT on drums and Gary on bass. In those years of groups in the '60s and '70s, we were all into everybody singing, and the harmonies, everybody taking a lead part, at least a couple of times. Pick your tune, do your lead part, as many as you want, and it gives a break to everybody, you know. And then at the same time, you get to pick the songs that you fell in love with and you wanted to do. So then, if you that's what you want to do, well, then you better sing the damn thing. <laughs> better know how to play it and you better know how to sing it we'll follow you we'll play with you but it's your show man and that's what we did and you know I noticed that you know later on in years you know everybody decided to kind of go into different you know segments and not not do it as much later 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 on but in those years up until probably the 80s and that people did that you know it wasn't so much as individuals, you know, it was more a group effort, right? Yeah. It was a band. Speaks a lot to that time, too. He's talking Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, um, even the blues thing, because, I mean, the old blues guys were being drawn out from retirement and yep. being put onto the, the, the main stages and in the colleges and the universities. They were being taken over to Europe, so there was a sort of uh, a resurgent in the, in the blues things that was going on as well as the whole Dylan, Joni Mitchell, Neil Young, uh, all of that acoustic stuff that was all right around those years. So that's what I mean about just how quickly things sort of changed and the shifts in fads or or, or styles of music and how you guys picked up on that and just rolled with it. So, you know, three years earlier you were were playing, or four or five or whatever, you're playing The Who and uh, Beatles stuff and all the rest of that, and then... The music's moved on and it's progressed, and you guys have as well. And just and, uh, yeah, we went with the flow. Songs, exactly. Yeah. yeah, went with the flow on that. Uh, it was the fad, I guess, but it, at the same time we were involving as musicians in the sense that we wanted not to be stuck in a rut. We wanted to learn as many different styles as we could to to progress, to be a better musician to feel what it's like to be in this genre of music or this or that. We did do country, you know, and that. Uh, Not very much of it, but we started on it. We listened to it when we were very young. But again, like I said, we wanted to be the B-side. And that's why we were bringing out all these other things, you know, like you said, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young and the Jethro Thull. And uh, no matter what type of music you played, Everybody meld. The music just flowed together without any breaks or walls, or, and it just everything just flowed down like a river. Just kind of there we go. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it just flowed. All of those different styles. Yeah, that's a really good point. I can say the same thing for myself in that I, I wouldn't say I get bored, but I'm sort of hungry for playing different styles of music. If I'd been Living in the South somewhere, I would have been a blues musician, or you would have been a rock musician, or you would have been, you know, you, you, you sort of fall into a style, and then that's all that you sort of play. Whereas up north, it was just, it just sort of seemed like, like you say, just this incredible variety of styles of music. 
Yeah, it was an open book. An open book, maybe because it was such a small town. So yeah. <laughs> changing things up. Otherwise, it got boring. It got boring, time. yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, never thought of it that way. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Yeah, I never thought of it that way. But yeah, well, the other thing is to, uh, like uh, at the end of the 60s and the 70s, I was out of high school by then. And then I was living on my own and the Grey House. So any musician that came to town and talked to whoever on the street, is there any place to hang out with musicians or whatever? Go down the street, you'll see a Grey House, go there. Because we had all the instruments, we had two sets of drums set up, we had two bass amps, we had all kinds of guitar amps, guitars all over the place. Anybody that wanted to come in and sit and play by yourself or join with us or we would join with them if we liked what they were doing. We ran into jazz players, we ran into folk players, from people from all over the world would come in. Yes, we didn't have... Like you said before, you know, like going out to, to down south and you would have been into this or to that. And maybe would have made it, maybe would have never made it. Because there's so many fantastic musicians out there in the world. As we know, some of them came flowing through and played with in Yellowknife. So I was always grateful learning to play and playing music in the north. Always, always. It uh, opened up my world to where I am today. So I've had opportunities to play with many, many fantastic musicians. I'll be forever grateful being able to play with them for what I learned. And hopefully they learned something from me and family, no matter what, family. I would like to thank Wayne for sharing his rich musical life story with musicians of the Midnight Sun. To hear more, see photographs of his life and the full interview transcript, Check out musiciansofthemidnightsun.com, linked in the show notes. You can follow along as well on Facebook and Instagram. If you would like to support the continuation of this project, please donate it on our website, musiciansofthemidnightsun.com. I would like to thank the City of Yellowknife Heritage Committee and the Northwest Territories Creative Industries Economic Recovery Fund for supporting this podcast series. And to thank the Northwest Territories Arts Council, Government of the Northwest Territories, Department of Education, Culture and Employment, the Yellowknife Community Foundation, and the City of Yellowknife Heritage Committee for supporting the website so far. A full list of supporters can be found on the website. The archival audio of this podcast is from the Northern Musicians Project Collection at the Northwest Territories Archives. I'm Pat Brayton. Thanks for listening.